Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Only Horror Movie Podcast. Hey. Hey. Uh, nice to uh, be here again. Yeah, nice to see y'all. Uh, we know that this has been a bit of a break here. Joe got married. I did. Um, before we get into any of this, let's just say that um, this is the Only Horror Movie Podcast. It's a podcast where me, uh, Nick Pupo, I don't know anything about uh, horror movies, slowly learning bit by bit. Joe is a uh, a bit of a uh, an a, a expert fanatic. You know, he's a guy who loves horror. I'm a, I'm a long time fan. You long know, time like, fan. Uh, so that's um that's the podcast. But uh, you know, we we've taken a little break because Joe got married and the holidays are here and a lot of different things, man. You know. Oh yeah, and uh, I what I we do is I pick a movie. Uh, for every episode that Nick hasn't seen, and then we watch it, and then we come back and talk about it on the podcast. That's right, yeah. And it's, this is already like out of order and weird. We're out of practice, man. Yeah. It's, uh, well, you know, it was like uh, I got married. Yes. And then I had friends and family in town for the entire week following the wedding. That's right. And then uh, as soon as they left, my wife and I both got sick. Yes, exactly. Uh, and then I was gonna, I was gonna try to do an episode, and then I got way too sick, and now it's like ah, I can't do it. So we had to put it on hold for a good three weeks. Yes, we did. Uh, it's and been the, almost a month or so since we. Yes, it has been, and uh, also, you know, holidays are coming up. It's going to be a little tricky for us. You know, we don't have a team of people helping us to do this. We don't have, uh, you know, a lot of money or any money really when you think about it but yeah we're definitely not making any money from we're not making zilch my friends so it's uh i hate using that word i shouldn't have said zilch i you know what i was upset when you did it i wasn't gonna say anything but i really i regret you using it thanks man oh you know what? i'm gonna leave it in just to learn my lesson but um you know with the with the holidays continuing on it's gonna be a little tricky and uh, we can't guarantee an episode every week right now, but we will get back to that uh, as soon as we are able, folks. Our lives will stabilize at some point. At some uh, point. In early 2023, and we'll be back to being more consistent. That's correct. And uh, please forgive us and uh, stay tuned and just keep on a lookout for a new episode, you know? Yeah. If you follow us on Instagram, we will always post whenever there is a new episode coming out. So just be uh, be cool. Anyways. Yeah. We appreciate you sticking with us. Yeah. We adore you. And, um, I, you know, if you adore us, please rate us five stars on Apple podcasts or anywhere you listen to the podcast. Tell your friends, email us at the only horror movie pod at gmail.com. Tell your buddies, just spread the word. Yeah. Join the discord. Our researcher, Remy Mitchell is also running that and she is pretty lonely in the discord right now. But if you want to join that, yeah. Uh, you know, you'd be getting in uh, yeah. the ground floor. Yeah, you really should. Remy's great. And uh, she's a part of our team. You know, she's the only other uh, team member we have and she's working hard and we want to, uh, we want you all to show her your appreciation for the show. Yeah. She's working hard from New Zealand, Crazy. by the way, which is, uh, you know, I mean, where it's like a different day there. I think like, they're yeah. like, you know, like 21 hours ahead of us or something. Is it that much? It's something. Yeah. Damn. It's like, <laughs> that's crazy. Yeah, folks, show Remy your love. So the the movie this week is a, a, a film called The People Under the Stairs. Yeah. From 1991. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, it was a bizarre movie. Strange plot. Oh, yeah. It's a very unique movie. Very unique movie. Um, I, I will say, 
I got a little stoned when watching this. Um, mm. A little bit of THC tincture that I purchased. Uh, Breeze, folks. That's what it's called. Uh, I'm saying this like it's a sponsor. Uh, but it's not. We have no sponsors. But They're not giving us any money. No. But the uh, but I thought that the third act is what really got me, is what I when I really like started to like the movie. Mm-hmm. I thought the first two acts, I was like, all right, this is cool. It's a little weird. I'm not a huge fan. But then the third act, I was like, it really got crazy and kind of tied it all together. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I was into it. It's one of those ones, I think, that grows on you. So for me, I, I love this one. It's... Uh, not necessarily my favorite Wes Craven movie or not his best movie necessarily. Right. Uh, but it is, I think, kind of an underrated classic. It's like such a weird, strange movie just in terms of concept and execution. I think like, you know, I first saw it on like TNT or something in the early 90s. Oh, super edited. Like yeah, uh, heavily edited and also yeah. like as a very young child that was way too young to sure. see the sort of like graphic violence and horrifying imagery. Yeah. There's a lot of really creepy that, stuff that, <laughs> that is in this movie. Yeah. And some really, uh, intense, intense, uh, savage racism in this movie. There is uh, yeah, some pretty heavy stuff there. So yeah, there's a lot of stuff, not, not for children. If you got some kids folks, we'd recommend, do not show them this movie uh, unless you want them to end up like Joe, which isn't the worst thing. You know? Uh, you know, I know a lot of there's a lot of worse people than me out there. Yeah, that's true. Like, <laughs> that's true. Joe. I say I don't think there's I don't think any age is too young for the people under the stairs because, you know, it's got ultimately has a, a very positive message. Uh, it's very yeah. critical of, uh, you know, racism and class warfare. And yeah. Yeah. Uh, and uh, real estate moguls and stuff, you know. Yeah, predatory landlords, uh, right. late capitalism. Yeah, it's uh, there's a lot of great messages in the movie. There are yeah. probably, you know, healthier ways you could teach your kids these messages. I disagree. Joe disagrees, but, um, you know, you can make your own choice, folks. Uh, show them this movie to teach them a lesson or don't. So... <laughs> I say do. Yeah. Show them the show them the movie. I'll, I'll go ahead and say show them the movie as well. Why not? Yeah. You know, like uh, four or five years old. I yeah. It's probably the perfect age once for the they people can, under the stairs. Yeah. Once they can start understanding the English language. Once they reach the age of the characters, the children in the movie, then too old. Okay. Frankly. Okay. I agree. You know, so we're going to get it in before their 13th birthday. Um, the unlucky birthday. Yeah. Anything else going on that we should uh, mention before we get into this? I mean, yeah, you know, we can talk about anything. We don't have to. No, let's do it. Of course, yeah. we have to. I think the. I think. I think some of the listeners like it. Maybe we, not all of them. Some I of them think, are probably like get into the goddamn movie. This is what I think. I think that the listeners who uh, like the show like uh, you and I. I think they like us as people. So that's uh, part of why we talk. <laughs> You know, you know, I think you might be right about that, especially considering that some of them are close friends and family. That's true. But uh, also like, you know, people listen to podcasts because they like the people who run them. It's, it's typically, you know, they could listen to any horror movie podcast, but it's run by, fair. by you and I. Yeah. Well, I did get married. You did get married. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. You and Nikki uh, officially a, a, a unit by law. Yes. Yeah. We decided to involve the state in our relationship, which is what I've always dreamed of. That's incredible. It's a, uh, so romantic. Yeah, uh, but the wedding was great. You were there. You I were, I, you know, I was glad you made it because I know you were still feeling a little bit under the weather at that point. I was. Yeah, yeah. I, I was sick. Um, 
by the end of the wedding, my voice was like completely shot. Uh, so that was a weird, uh, that was a weird moment for me to walk around and talk to everybody without, I was like, you guys don't even know what I sound like. You yeah. know what I mean? <laughs> like, meeting a bunch of people for the first time. Yeah. Meeting people for the first time. They're like, wow. Or like your, your, your parents, you know, like your dad, who's like listening to the podcast a bunch. And then I'm like, Hey, what's going on, man? So that was weird, but it was a great wedding. The wedding was beautiful. Joshua tree. I mean, you know, you and Nikki, you looked awesome. You know, you had your velvet yeah, suit. And, yeah, it was nice. Oh, it was incredible. All yeah. the credit for that really goes to Nikki. She pretty much planned the entire thing. Yeah, I didn't think you planned it. You yeah, know? you know, I tried to help, but sure. she, that's her thing. You it's know? typically she, the... She studied event planning. Yeah. She's been a tour manager. Yes. She's just, she knows how to plan She's and organize. She's very good at that stuff. Yes. Yeah. Um. So that's, that was awesome. Beautiful wedding. And, uh, you know, me... Still single, um, you know, living in, in in this one bedroom apartment. You know, I'm. Uh, but hey, more rave reviews for the one man show. Oh, the well, yes, the is, uh, unconditional until you change the title. Until I change change the title, but yeah, it's um, the show's going really well. The the one man show is good. Yeah. Uh, friend Sean Hyatt was very impressed. Yeah, Sean wrote a really nice review. Um that I was very flattered by, but I, I had to like repost it, but also like put a disclaimer where I was like, I do not agree with most of the stuff he said. Uh, it was I just, do. it was very, very nice, but I was just like, I can't in good conscience, like post a review and be like, yes, I also agree that I'm one of the next great craftsmen of, uh, my generation. You got to take that when people say it though. I know, I know, I know. It's very nice. It was very nice. And I love Sean and I do really like appreciate Sean's words because I really, uh, have a lot of respect for Sean. He's very funny. Yeah. He's a very funny guy. Um, so yeah, yeah. So that was very nice. So yeah. Things are fine. Things are good. You know, I'm moving to New York soon and I'm uh, stressed and scared and sad all the time, you know? Uh, well, yeah, that's what, I mean, that's, that's what New York is, right? You know? <laughs> yeah. Stressed and scared and sad, stressed but you know, sad. Yeah. you can do a lot of sets though. Yeah. You can do a lot of sets and that's all that matters, folks. All that matters is the grind until your bones are dust. Yeah. It doesn't matter. Nothing else matters. Just keep grinding until, uh, you know, that's it. Just hustle. Yeah, Life. if there's anything that we believe in at the Only Horror Movie Podcast, it's keep grinding. Yeah, nothing matters. Folks, let's get into this. Yeah. Uh, let's, get this, let's get into this movie. Uh, can you tell us about uh, People Under the Stairs, Joe? Yeah, I can tell you guys a little bit to get this uh, little introduction. Uh, so The People Under the Stairs came out in 1991. It was written and directed by Wes Craven, who is one of the all-time great masters of horror up mm -hmm. there with you know carpenter and hitchcock and any great horror director you can think of uh stars brandon adams everett mcgill wendy roby aj langer ving rames and sean whalen gotta love ving rames oh uh, yeah he's always great it's one of his relatively early roles and we started out a few years before this uh we had cinematography by sandy sissel and special effects by howard berger robert kurtzman and greg nicotero who uh together make up knb effects and they have done like pretty much every every movie they, okay. they've done like hundreds of movies like special effects and stuff uh Hell yeah. You know, starting with uh, Day of the Dead with George Romero, they all like, uh, I think they all started out working under Tom Savini. Oh, Savini. Yeah. And oh, then, yeah. Uh, you know, uh, they also did The Walking Dead and Greg Nicotero actually directed a lot of those episodes. Oh, damn. Okay. Uh, yeah. So very yeah, impressive. Uh, great special effects team. Uh, and I'll just say a little bit about Wes Craven. 
for those who aren't familiar with his work. Uh, Wes Craven uh, was R.I.P. died in 15, uh, 2015. Uh, was an American writer, director, producer, and actor. Uh, most of his acting roles, though, he plays the character Wes Craven. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. His, his, he plays himself in a lot of stuff. That's a lot fair. of cameos in his own movies. Oh, right. Okay. Did he do have a cameo on this one? I don't think he did in this one. Okay. When we do uh, Scream, you'll see him in that one. Oh, hell yeah. Uh, he's best known for his work in the horror genre. Uh, notable works including uh, The Last House on the Left, The Hills Have Eyes 1 and 2, Swamp Thing, A Nightmare on Elm Street, Shocker, The Serpent and the Rainbow, The People Under the Stairs, Wes Craven's New Nightmare, Vampire in Brooklyn, Scream 1 through 4, Cursed, Red Eye, My Soul to Take, and Music of the Heart. Ah, yes. Which is uh, like a biopic about a uh, music teacher in East Harlem who teaches underprivileged children to play the violin right white guy white lady i think white yeah lady. yeah it's definitely one of those like white savior movies hell yeah dude uh and also Love as well as a segment in uh paris je t'aime okay yeah so there's only two non-horror oh so those were not horror yeah okay. uh, yeah music of the heart is not a horror movie right no no about a lady teaching kids to play could be kind of fun though if it was it would be interesting i think you know meryl streep might have been nominated for an oscar for that one. Oh, right on uh, oh, he also uh, directed porn in the 70s under the name Abe Snake. Good Lord. I didn't know that the directors also went by like uh, the weird monikers. Just when he was, uh, you know, Abe Snake. Yes. When he was making, uh, he might he might have been involved actually in the making of Deep Throat from what I read. Yeah. Okay. Like that famous movie that they referenced in the Watergate scandal. Yes. Right, right, right. And I remember the movie. I think I've seen it. Yeah. Oh, have you? You seen Deep so. Throat? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I watched a documentary about it. Oh, okay. All right, folks. Here we go. The plot synopsis of The People Under the Stairs from 1991. We open on tarot cards. Poindexter Fool Williams is a resident of a Los Angeles ghetto. He's getting a tarot card reading for his 13th birthday and being warned by his sister not to march off the cliff as depicted in tarot cards. Cut to Fool's family apartment. His mother is sick and he wants to help her, uh, but his older sister tells him that there's nothing he can do. In the hall, Fool meets Leroy, a friend of Ruby's. So Leroy, by the way, is played by Ving Rames. That's right. Leroy is Ving Rames, folks. Yeah. And if you don't know who Ving Rames is, uh, you should, folks. He was in um, Pulp Fiction. Pulp Fiction. And uh, Piranha 3D. Yeah. Pulp Fiction is the big one where he played, I don't know, remember. Marcellus Wallace. Marcellus Wallace. That's right, the name. Uh, yeah great role interesting crossover there he's in you know two movies from the 90s with a you know full leather gimp suit oh that's true yeah yeah you'll see this gimp suit later on folks so yeah he's a full-grown man and fool is a 13 year old that's right (laughs) make it clear uh leroy explains to fool that he and his family are being evicted from their apartment by their landlords because they were late on the rent and owe triple according to the fine print on their lease fool asks if the landlord knows if his mom is sick and that his sister has babies and leroy explains that the landlord doesn't care he just wants to tear down the building and they're the last family left leroy explains to fool that he has a way he can earn the money if he's up for it cut to a fireplace in a big old house the camera pulls back to reveal a middle-aged white man tearing meat from a rib cage a young girl is serving him and a woman presumably the man's wife and she is talking about tearing down the building that fool's family lives in she wants to build condos and get clean people in there uh the husband wants money these are the robesons robesons Robesons, I think. Robesons. These are the Robesons, a married couple who call themselves Mommy and Daddy. 
The girl, Alice, asks Mommy what happens when the people are forced to leave their home. Mommy tells Alice to speak only when spoken to, and that's what good girls do. Daddy says the family will be out by midnight tomorrow. As he eats, he spits large pellets into a bowl full of other pellets, saying, damn buckshot. Uh, We cut to the ghetto and see Fool making his way home. The streets are full of people. Inside the building is full of sketchy people drinking, smoking crack, shooting up and vomiting in the stairwell. Upstairs, a group of dogs are fighting over the remains of a dead rat. So by this point, we we understand, Joe, that right. Everybody else is out of the building. This building is almost just an abandoned. Yeah, I think. Yeah, they like uh, I think Leroy explains that like Fool's family are the last ones in this old rundown tenement. That has basically turned into like a giant crack house. Yes. Uh, so pretty early on, we're already establishing like the sort of class theme that, uh, you know, it's a, it was a movie about predatory landlords evicting people. That's right. To tear down their homes and put condos in place, which is, and, you know, maybe even more relevant now than it was in 1991. For sure. Absolutely. Inside the apartment, Leroy and Ruby are discussing Fool's future. Leroy wants to teach him how to put food on the table, but Ruby says she doesn't want that for him, and she wants him to become a doctor. By put food on the table, we mean do crimes, because that's that's for the business that Leroy is in. There you go, fucks. Leroy tells Fool that his mom has a type of cancer that a doctor could easily remove, but they don't have the, uh, the money to do that. Fool gets upset and kicks him, and Leroy angrily shoves him against the fridge and yells that the people he's targeting deserve to be robbed. Uh, during a liquor store robbery, Leroy found a letter addressed to the owner of the store, and the name of his company is the same one on their eviction notice. He knows where the landlords live. So Ruby says she's heard bad things about these landlords. Yeah, about the Robesons. Right. But Leroy says the letter is from a company that wants to buy the gold coins he's collected. He says uh, his plan is foolproof. Yeah, get it. So Fool's mom is desperately ill and asks Fool to take care of the kids, telling him that he's the man of the house now. Cut to the Robesons' house. Mommy is accusing Alice of licking her plate after the meal. A little odd of an accusation yeah that she's so mad that he's she's licked this plate well you know i think this establishes the type of uh extremely controlling and abusive and just looking for any little thing that you could possibly do wrong right uh, type of uh parents that these are right mommy and this really reminds me of my own mom in a lot of ways she's a more intense version but sure there's a lot of moments in this movie where i'm like I remember that. That was like what my childhood was like on occasion. Yeah. Okay. All right. That stinks. Uh, yeah. You know, <laughs> there's a reason she wasn't invited to the wedding. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. So she's an abusive mother, right? We've established. And Alice yeah. is terrified of her. She gives her a new dress to try on and brushes her hair violently, forcing her to say, yes, ma'am. I love you, mother. As she turns to leave, mommy asks where Alice's fork is. She, she knows that she said, I had a fork. I gave you a fork, but there's no fork here. Right. So, fearing punishment, Alice scrambles on the floor to find it when a pale hand with long, pointy nails reaches out from a vent in the wall and hands the fork to her. It's a very creepy hand. Very creepy hand. It's all, like, purpley and pale and shitty. Yeah. So, as Mommy inspects the fork, Daddy enters and informs her that some N-words robbed the store. Mommy says, may they burn in hell. Uh, And Daddy says, I'm very tense about this. I'm very, very tense about this. Uh, they say they're going to say, keep in mind that uh, burn in hell comes up a lot. Yeah. So I want to want to mention, by the way, that uh, 
uh, mommy and daddy are played by Everett McGill and Wendy Roby, who were cast when they played a married couple in Twin Peaks. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, I could see that. So I could yeah. definitely see them in a in a Lynchian. Yeah. Film. So for any of you Twin Peaks fans, there, uh, you know, you would recognize them from that. Nice. So, um, mommy, the creepiest white people, honestly, very, very creepy. Uh, mommy informs daddy that Alice has been bad and that she's feeding the thing between the walls again. She says, remember not to bruise her face as daddy removes his belt and says, bad girls burn in hell. As we hear something, something wailing uh, from within the walls. Um, so it's implied that then she's then beaten with a belt folks. Yeah. And you know, my mom told me I was going to burn in hell a whole lot too growing up. Really? (laughs) Damn. Religious? Uh, Sort of. Sort of. I mean, yeah, technically Catholic, but, you know, it was more just to be mean. Right. Uh, Wes Craven, though, grew up in a very, like, strict Baptist household, which I think informs a lot of his work. Oh, interesting. Cut to outside the Robeson's house, a former funeral home. It's huge and run down on the sidewalk. Fool is dressed as a, as a Boy Scout as Leroy and his associate Spencer drive by in a van. Fool knocks on the door, but nobody answers. He heads around the side door and rings the doorbell to no avail. There's a pond near the back of the side yard, and he's checking it out and sees Alice looking down at him from an upstairs window. She hides when he notices her. Suddenly, Mommy answers the door. Fool tries to sell her cookies and asks to use the bathroom, but she refuses and slams the door. On his way out, Fool notices that all the windows are padlocked from the outside. He returns to Leroy and Spencer to give them the intel. Spencer gains access to the house by posing as a gas company worker and insisting that he needs to check the house for a gas leak. Mommy reluctantly lets him inside, but she's suspicious as as he's wearing like this ring with a skull on it. You know, she like notices yeah. this ring and she's like, hmm, something's weird. Uh, but she lets him in. Leroy and Fool notice that the Robesons uh, leave the home shortly thereafter, but Spencer does not return to the van. Leroy suspects Spencer may be trying to cut him out of the score, so he and Fool decide to break into the house to look for Spencer. They pull the van up into the driveway, and Leroy smashes a window with a crowbar. Inside, they find a room full of the remains of the old funeral home business with a steel door blocking access to the rest of the house. Oh, by the way, I want to mention the Robeson's house is like uh, 10 or 15 minutes away from my place. What, here in L.A.? Yeah. No shit. Yeah, I, I have the address somewhere. Whoa. We can go by and check it out sometime if we want. Yeah, that's pretty rad. Uh, Fool explains how breaking and entering might be not so smart. He says it's the first day of his 13th birthday, which I thought was a weird way of saying that it's your just your first 13th birthday. Yeah, it is your 13th birthday. Right. Yeah. Uh, he said, could be unlucky, right? Leroy says, and this is a great line. Leroy says, 13th birthdays are always unlucky. Too old to get tit, too young to get ass. Fucked either way. (laughs) (laughs) Leroy's got a lot of lines like that. Yeah. Uh, And just then he wedges the door open, announcing that he's busted the house's cherry. Which really, I just like, is too old to get tit? Is that a thing to be bummed out about? Like, No, I don't think it's a, no, it's, well, it's, it's weird to relate the two things like it's like they're both uh things you lust after yeah yeah very like you lust after your mom's tit the same way you lust after a a strange woman's ass yeah but you know i have met dudes who say shit like that and you're just like man you need uh, a therapist yeah there's something very freudian going on here oh for sure uh it's also just a fun little thing to say right that's true you know maybe he doesn't mean it yeah, maybe not. Maybe he does. So Leroy opens the door finally with the crowbar. Then all of a sudden, 
the Robeson's vicious Rottweiler, Prince, attacks him. Fool is able to get Prince's attention and jumps in, uh, to hang from the door frame as the dog passes under him. Uh, and then they lock Prince on the other side of the door, right? So they, they're safe. My main criticism of this movie is that some of the sort of like action and fight scenes were sort of badly choreographed. And that's the first one where I'm just like, he just like jumps up and does a pull up from the door frame and the dog just runs under him like there's yeah. like. Well, I think the kid does a lot of stuff in this movie where you're like, why do you know how to do this? Yeah. Like at one point he has a shotgun and he just knows how to work the shotgun. I mean, I knew how to use a shotgun when I was that age. Yeah, but he's a he's a really the kids. What is he? He's 13. Yeah, he's 13, but he looks like he's like nine. He does. He looks like a young 13. Yeah. Yeah. He looks like more like yeah nine or 10. Shotguns are so heavy. I don't think he'd be able to cock. Anyways. I used shotguns when I was like 12 years old. All right. You know, like I went out to my uncle's ranch and shot skeet. Well, I I, I did that too. Yeah, I did that too. You can learn. Maybe you can learn. Plus, you know, if you're growing up in like uh, rough neighborhoods in LA in the early nineties, you know, you probably have seen a shotgun before. I'll give it to you, Joe. That, that for me is not the least (laughs) believable. (laughs) Uh, okay, so they look around the kitchen noticing the bad smell and weird piles of dead flies before movement from above the stove gets Leroy's attention. He says it's nice that rich people have rats, too. Fool wants to leave, but uh, they hear movement upstairs, and Leroy decides to check it out because he thinks it's Spencer, you know, and he wants to get make sure he gets his cut. Yeah, right. They think he thinks Spencer might be trying to rip him off. So Fool stays downstairs as a lookout. The house is huge, loaded with dusty antiques and old furniture. Fool finds a door to the basement and looks through the slot and sees Spencer's clipboard and lighter on the stairs. He undoes the locks and he heads downstairs to look for Spencer. Halfway down the stairs, he sees a light moving and hears something whispering and making weird sounds. And he's like, I ain't stupid. That's what he says, which I like. Mm -hmm. He's like, I'm not stupid, which I was like, that's a great moment. That's a great moment for any character to be like, actually, no, I'm not an idiot. Yeah. Uh, and so he leaves, but then he recalls Leroy calling him a, t- a chicken shit. And so that's the thing. And he's like, I'm going to go down chairs. Seriously. Yeah, man. Really should have gone with your instincts. <laughs> he really should have. So a tripwire causes uh, the door to shut behind him. The, the basement is like this huge. It's a huge space with all kinds of chains and straps attached to brick walls. And Yeah, it's cavernous. More like a dungeon. Mm-hmm, feels very dungeony. So someone points a flashlight at Fool. He calls to Spencer, but there's no answer. He hears the sound of a TV and finds it high on a shelf uh, facing the other side of the wall. The TV is playing Gulf War footage. He calls for Spencer again, and he gets blasted by a cloud of dust from the other side of the wall. The Gulf War footage is significant, too. It's just like uh, part of the whole, uh, there's sort of a satire aspect of this movie uh, about conservatism and all kinds of other things. So like, uh, you know, uh, at that time, people were very critical of the Gulf War. Mm-hmm. Been kind of like showing Iraq war footage in a movie in the early 2000s. Right, right, right. So he runs and he finds out that the wall is part of a floor to ceiling wooden pen. On the other side, he can hear muttering and see glimpses of people holding flashlights. Fool finds Spencer's dead body on the floor by the pen, and he's holding a gold coin in his hand. Something pulls Spencer's body close to the pen, and Fool uh, tries to pull it away, uh, and he sees that uh, bites have been taken out of Spencer's hand. Uh, and we see the, that this, the Spencer's hand has a skull ring on it still. Uh, the wooden pen contains a large group of strange, pale people uh, locked in a uh, in, inside of a dungeon. This locked inside of this dungeon-like basement. Yeah, it's like a giant wooden cage, kind of like yeah, just a bunch like of boards, a, like, a, like half stable, half jail cell. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's a bunch of these people inside, and they're all moaning and stuff. 
Uh, a hand reaches out and turns the TV back towards it. Uh, just before Fool is grabbed by a pale person dressed in rags with a saw on his back, he pulls Fool away from the pen, wailing in some kind of indecipherable gibberish. Fool runs up the stairs, but some mechanism triggers them to lay down flat, the, and he and he tumbles back down. This, yeah, the stairs just turn into like a ramp. Yeah, a little ramp, and he just f- slides down. The pale guy is wailing at him, and Fool runs up the, the ramp towards the door. Alice opens it, but the pale guy grabs him by the ankle. And he's able to get loose and he slams the door, locking the man in the basement. Upstairs, the Robesons return to find Prince outside in the van in their driveway. Fool runs upstairs and finds Leroy lying on the ground motionless with his head in a vent. Fool reaches for Leroy and then Leroy suddenly is like, ah, and there's like this jump scare, right? So he's alive. Uh, and he's, he's like, you scared the shit out of me, fool. Leroy says that there's something inside of the walls and he wants fool to go inside and see where it is. But fool informs him that the Robesons are back and that Spencer is dead. Uh, they run downstairs to leave, but the front door is electrified and the windows are all barred shut. The Robesons wedge their way inside, wedge the side door open enough to let Prince through. And Leroy hides behind the couch with the crowbar using Fool as bait for the dog. So he tells Fool, he's like, stand right here in the yeah. middle of the room. He's like, I'm going to pop out and bash this dog. When yeah. Clearly, just uh, throughout the movie, you, you do see that that this guy, Leroy, just does not give a fuck if Fool actually lives or dies. Yeah. He, you know, he definitely is like. Uh, he's focused on save, the prize. Save yourself. Yeah. Everyone else on their own kind of uh, mentality. Yeah. So Prince runs past Fool and attacks Leroy. Uh, Fool grabs Leroy and pulls him towards the door, electrocuting both of them and the dog. They uh, they run upstairs and Leroy hides in a closet, leaving Fool in the hallway to fend for himself. So there's another moment where there you yeah. go, folks. Leroy is in a closet. Plenty of room for a little boy. And he's like, go find your own closet. Yeah, he's like a grown man, you know, like. It's probably what, like late twenties, early thirties. Like, yeah, that's point. my like, guess. Way yeah. too old to be just like abandoning this child. Yeah, it's really fucked. Daddy grabs his gun and goes to look for them. Right, activating a mechanism that causes all the doors to slam shut and lock. Daddy is searching with his laser sighted automatic pistol when the ma- the pale man from the basement opens a panel in the closet to grab Leroy. Leroy runs out of the door and Daddy shoots him multiple times. Leroy screams, "Run, fool!" before falling down the stairs. He just falls down like two flights of stairs, basically, all the way down to the floor. It's very mm-hmm. nasty. Yeah, this is a giant Victorian house. Mm-hmm. So there's, you know, Nasty spill. So downstairs, Mommy and Daddy are laughing and dancing, celebrating uh, that they killed Leroy, saying, he called me a fool. He's the fool. This is like a real moment that sticks out from a lot. Like, you don't see a lot of movies where the killer, they, they just kill somebody and then they have they start having a party. Like, Yeah, they really dance around. Really, you know, like, we got him, we got him. Yeah. <laughs> it's so it's, happy celebrating. It's very odd. And maybe we can talk a little bit more about that later. But yeah. Upstairs, Fool finds a homemade doll and a candle placed on the floor near a vent. The doll is pulled in to the vent by a string. He follows it inside, ending up in the space between the walls. He finds Prince's bowl and a dog bed with a bloody ribcage underneath it. Daddy is back upstairs looking around. Further in the space between the walls, Fool sees Alice pulling the doll on the string towards a hatch. He begins to crawl her way just before Daddy leans into the vent and begins shooting. Fool runs into this to another section of the house where he meets Alice hiding in a grime-covered bathroom. Fool introduces himself and tells her not to be scared, asking if if she's ever met a black person before. She hasn't, because Mommy and Daddy have never let her outside. She says that no one has ever gotten out of the house. So she tells him that the the people under the stairs were boy children who broke the see-hear-speak-no-evil rules of the Robeson's household. She says Daddy cut the bad parts out, and put the boys in the cellar one by one 
but they get flashlights and food of some kind. I suppose they're happy in their own way. They don't seem happy. No, they don't really seem happy. They seem uh, tormented. They seem like they're locked. In. <laughs> yeah, they seem like prisoners. They yeah. can't speak. They're ghouls, basically. Yeah, nothing good about their lives. No. The children have de- degenerated into cannibalism to survive, and Alice has avoided this fate by obeying the rules without question. Suddenly, they hear wailing from a boy, Roach, who evades the Robesons by hiding in the walls. We cut to Daddy, bursting out of a secret compartment in the wall, dressed in a head-to-toe leather bondage suit and carrying a pistol grip shotgun yeah it's kind of like a gimp suit but like yeah with, like more a really weird kind of clearly like ritualistic suit like full snm leather bondage like head to toe completely right covered kind of implying that this this isn't their first time this is kind of a thing that he just likes to do he likes to dress up and go find and hunt people inside his house yeah inside I mean, of his own house very like uh hellraiser-esque suit like something a centibite would wear yeah uh centibite. definitely custom made right totally custom made so he begins to fire into the walls his fool scrambles to find a way to escape alice shows him a way inside the walls uh through a medicine cabinet but he's too afraid to go inside downstairs mommy is feeding prince spencer's severed hand saying healthy prince secure home the cops pull up uh-oh and mommy calls on an intercom to let daddy know that the cops are outside and he rushes to take off his bondage suit. Fool sees the cops and bangs on the window, right? But they can't hear him. He's calling for the police, but they just can't. He's screaming. They can't hear him. Outside, mommy and daddy meet the police and tell the cops that they uh, they saw two men walking away from the van and they don't know what the van's doing in their driveway, you know? Yeah, it's just somebody have just left their van there. Yeah, they just kind of play dumb and the cops are like, uh, well, why not uh, why don't you guys, you know, uh, stay inside, keep your doors locked, right? And they leave. Yeah, this is also like, you know, this is the first time the cops are shown. It's very clear, you know, like uh, the cops like just take every everything these, you know, white people say to be completely true. Don't question them or anything. And just they're just there to be very helpful. Very true. Exactly. Yes. You know, because, <laughs> uh, yeah, cops are good. Uh, uh, they're all good inside the house. Once the cops are gone, mommy and daddy discover fool's discarded Boy Scout uniform and realize that he's also in the house. This is when they realize that there is a third person that they have to now try to kill. Yeah, he's wearing a bear trooper Boy Scout uniform. Right. Inside the house, Prince is chasing fool inside the walls. At one point, he says, what are they feeding you? Just before Prince spits out Spencer's ring. There it is. There's that goddamn skull ring. So fool ends up trapped inside a bathroom. Daddy shoots through the door and puts his head in to look inside and fool hits him with the toilet lid. Uh, Real nice. And then he kind of does. Here's the thing I will say about this daddy character, right? Mm -hmm. He makes a lot of real goofy faces. You know? Yeah, he does. Well, Everett McGill, he's got a he's already got a pretty weird looking face. Yeah, he's got a very animated, goofy face. Yeah. Like he kind of reminds me of a guy who was in Mr. Show. I can't remember his name. Oh, yeah. He reminds me, too, of Larry from Hellraiser. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I thought for a while I thought it was the same actor, but I realized it's not. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I can see the resemblance there. Um, so daddy recovers and opens the door just as Roach appears and pulls fool into the passage behind the medicine cabinet. Daddy blasts the cabinet off the wall, uh, looks down the passage and yells, I'm going to kill you. Right. He's a very goofy yeah. voice. Uh, just a very goofy. Yeah. He's like, he's like a terrifying psychopath, but also very goofy. And yeah. Like- <laughs> yeah. Right after he says, uh, I'm going to kill you. Roach pops out and blasts him in the forehead with his slingshot. And then he laughs and then they run off. Right. He and fool mommy and daddy are kind of like uh, a nightmare version of Ronald and Nancy Reagan. 
I think that's what they were really going for. Ah, uh, interesting. They're kind of, yeah, they're kind of, you know, like with satire, the whole thing is to like, uh, you know, to make your point by heightening things to a ridiculous level. So they're kind of like an over the top parody of conservatism. Yeah, right on. Yeah, I like that. So daddy sends Prince in the walls, right? He picks him up and puts him in that little compartment to pursue Fool and Roach. Uh, and he follows them through a maze of corridors behind the walls. The, the handheld camera is moving fast, following Roach and Fool down the narrow corridors. Uh, as they pass a bed decorated with Christmas lights, Fool asks if this is Roach's place, and he confirms as Prince continues to chase them. They stop at the end of the passage, seemingly trapped. Roach throws a homemade doll to Prince, causing him to stop momentarily. When he does, Roach pulls a lever, and the floor drops from under him, and Prince goes sliding down two floors. He flies out of a kitchen cabinet to the shock of mommy and daddy who are standing right there. They realize that the boy has gotten to Alice. Yeah. Prince is, he's just like on this like wooden section of the floor that drops out and there's just a slide. Right. For some reason that yes. goes down and then shoots out through the kitchen. Yeah. It's a little pops odd. out like looks like he just got off a ride. Right. And uh, he's and he's just standing there with a doll in his mouth. And that part of the movie, I don't think makes much sense. Right. Not really. Not really. But also, I mean. You know, the strange thing is there are houses like this, you know, that exist, especially in L.A. Yeah. Especially ones built during the 20s, like uh, during Prohibition. That makes sense. My former stepmom had a house that was uh, built by the the architect who built Stetson University, Mm. like in St. Pete. Okay. Uh, and he built it for, like for himself right by the school in like the 20s. And it has all these weird hidden compartments and stuff. Yeah, for what like, smuggling things for hiding booze? booze. Like, yeah, that's like great. Places you could store liquor when it was illegal. That's pretty sick. Uh, okay, well that maybe explains it then. Yeah, this house seems like it could have been owned by a magician or something. Right. Yeah, it was uh, actually originally a funeral home, is what it was. That's what they say. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Anyway, so Fool and Roach end up in Alice's room. Fool says to Alice, "He's like he doesn't talk, does he?" Alice explains that Roach's tongue had been cut out, and then Roach reveals that his tongue has been severed yeah he sticks out his tongue and it's all like cut off like a half tongue black half tongue pretty gross pretty gross um she says roach tried to call for help one day and daddy had to teach him to speak no evil fool sees that alice has made a doll of leroy uh he asks why she makes them and and she explains that she makes them to hold the souls of burglars salesmen workmen and other people who saw too much yeah she's got a box full of these dolls Right. Uh, Daddy bursts into the room with a shotgun, right? Uh, he fires two shots at Roach as he escapes into the wall, and it looks like he, he did clip him uh, mm-hmm. in the leg. So Mommy slaps Alice, shoves her to the bed, and screams in her face, calling her a little Judas, uh, while Daddy has his shotgun barrel shoved against uh, Fool's chin. Cut to Daddy. Uh, forcing Fool to drag Leroy's body into the cellar just before shoving him down the stairs. Meanwhile, Mommy drags Alice downstairs, screaming at her and pushing her into a pool of Leroy's blood. And she like slips and falls. Yeah, she, like, slips and slides across this giant pool of blood. Yeah, she's wearing this white dress and it's like all over her dress and she's like screaming at her to mop it up, you know, like the sponge. Yeah, she's got a sponge on a bucket and the it was just like three inches of blood on the ground. So much. Uh, he's been lying there, lying there bleeding out for, you know, However long. A couple of hours, probably. Yeah. In the basement, Daddy has Fool chained up, forcing him to watch as he guts Leroy's body hung upside down from chains. Uh, he tosses pieces of Leroy uh, into the pen so that the, the, the little uh, people under the stairs can eat. 
some of this remains, right? And then yeah. he takes a bite himself. Yeah, he's got blood smeared all over his face. Yeah, he's just biting. He's got blood coming down his head from where Fool bashed him with the toilet lid, and he's got blood on his face from where he's eating raw chunks of Leroy. He's not in great shape here, folks, but he's 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 trying. So upstairs, Mommy screams at Alice for getting blood on her new dress and forces her into a scalding hot bath, right? This is this is the mother who just pushed her into the blood. It's her fault, and now she's screaming. There's nothing this girl can do. She can't win. Yeah, no. classic, uh, you know, abusive uh, parent thing. That's right. She's got very, uh, like, mommy dearest, no more wire hangers vibes. Oh, what's that? You guys have seen that. No. Uh, it was a movie, I think, from the 70s about there is a, a famous actress whose, like, daughter, like, grew up and wrote a book about how crazy and abusive her mom was. Oh, interesting. Okay. And then they made a movie, I think, starring Sybil Danning. I could be wrong about it. No, I don't know. Maybe. Um, but yeah, there's a famous scene where the mom in that movie is like screaming at this girl about wire hangers. Mm-hmm. She finds like a dress hung up on wire hangers and she's just losing her fucking mind. It's gonna be like, no more wire hangers. Oh and then like beating her with oh, the hanger. And Good Lord. So if you're familiar with Mommy Dearest, that's kind yeah. of the vibe. That, I think the point is that this girl, Alice, has it easy. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. All she has to do is follow every single rule to a T and never break any of them and she'd be fine. There's no wire hangers. See no evil, hear no evil, speak no evil. They've got one of those little monkey statues somewhere in the house. They do, don't they? Yeah. Uh, Back in the basement, Daddy dumps the remains of Leroy's body into a hidden pit full of sewage and rotting body parts. He puts Fool in the pen with his uh, discarded ghoul children. Back upstairs, he tells Mommy and Alice, I could have killed him, but I'll let the people under the stairs do it. In the basement, the pale-faced ghouls begin to surround Fool. Suddenly, the pit begins to open up, getting the ghouls' attention as Leroy's gutted body sits up out of the opening, and it's making these noises like, oh. The ghouls retreat in fear, but then it's revealed that Roach is behind Leroy's body, and he was holding them up, making those noises. Yeah. He got him. And he's like laughing, you know, mm-hmm. weird moments to be all joyous. Yeah, he's laughing with no tongue. <laughs> right. Uh, Roach helps Fool escape, but Daddy hears the noise and sends Prince into the basement. Roach shows Fool a passage through the furnace, but Fool notices that Roach has been shot, right? So they climb into this furnace, and uh, they're hanging out inside of the furnace, and Roach is dying. But before he does, he gives Fool a small bag of gold coins and a written plea to save Alice. He just writes on the dust name and dust yeah yeah gotta but, say i like roach for a character who doesn't have any decipherable lines great performance in this movie like great he's, performance he's like yeah. so he's so creepy initially and then he he's like so immediately sympathetic yes by just like his got like kind of facial expressions and yes uh, yeah he does. interacts with fool and alice okay great job yeah he's got big gums mm-hmm. you know <laughs> yeah a lot yeah. of gums on that guy oh yeah suppose he does uh the fool okay so fool climbs up through the passageway while daddy is upstairs threatening alice and demanding to know if she told fool anything prince is barking outside and daddy opens the door and yells at him to shut the fuck up as he does fool pops out of the vent and punches daddy in the balls this is another moment where it's like he's just standing there waiting to get punched in the balls absolutely i think most people would have moved out of the way right he would have noticed the boy coming for his balls yeah he's just like you know he like like pops out and like runs over yeah (laughs) punches him like just just, giving him every moment yeah the the, the fight choreography in this one like it got so much tighter right five years later when he made scream right 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 uh but in this one you're just like okay all right well sure why not 
suspend the disbelief. He got him. <laughs> so he punches him in the balls, right? Uh, and then he takes a lamp and smashes it over his head. And he and Alice disappear inside the wall. Back in the basement, Daddy burns Roach's body in the furnace. Fool and Alice make their way through the walls as Daddy blasts holes with his shotgun. They, uh, they get away and step on a tripwire that causes a wall of spikes to fly out of nowhere and uh, nearly impale them. Yeah, it's like this booby trap, like these, like this wall of spikes on wheels that just comes flying the, through their path. Yes, a trap probably set by by Daddy to try and kill Roach because Roach was really fucking with him. That was like the one that he really wanted to kill. Oh yeah, Roach has been in the walls for a while. Like he got out of the basement, has been in the walls for who knows how long, just right. driving him fucking nuts. So he was thrilled to kill Roach. So Daddy releases Prince into the walls again, right, to kill Fool and Alice. Prince finds them and attacks Fool, right. As he does, Daddy attaches a bayonet to his shotgun and begins to stab blindly into the walls. Fool is wrestling with the dog, and then he shoves Prince against the wall, tricking Daddy into stabbing him. So Daddy thinks that he's murdered the kid, right? Yeah, he almost gets Fool several times. Almost. Very many times, yes. Yeah, yeah, then he shoves the Prince up there. And in the hall, Daddy begins to dance and sing, I got him, I got him, I got him, you know? And he's like dancing around again, you know? And then Mommy's like, prove it. And uh, he tears the wall open, and then he sees Prince flop out onto the floor, moaning as it dies, as Prince just dies. And Mommy screams, you killed Prince! Fool and Alice reach the attic where they find an open window above the pond, above a pond. It's one of those rare moments in a horror movie where you're happy they killed the dog. I know, exactly. I was waiting for the dog to be murdered. Yeah, usually it's upsetting. This time you're like, yeah, get his ass. Yeah, it's also sometimes when a Rottweiler dies, like I don't want a Rottweiler to die, but they're they're harder to sympathize with because they're always fucking attacking people, you know? Yeah. <laughs> In movies. I remember the guy when I trained MMA, the guy who injured my leg had a giant snarling Rottweiler tattoo on his shoulder. Right. They're always depicted as like these just- vicious, angry creatures, but it's always because they're just trained that way. So Alice is too afraid to jump into the pond, right? Fool is forced to jump into the pond and escape without her. Uh, but he's like a three-story drop. Yeah, it's a, it's a far drop. So basically what happens here is that they spot the pond and Fool is like, we got to jump out into this pond. Yeah, but Alice like attic is, window. But Alice is like, I've never been outside. She's like, I'm not ready to, to leave. Yeah. Uh, and he's like, all right, fine. And he leaves. And he, but he promises to return and uh, and save her. As daddy's. As daddy's just firing fucking shots after him. I feel like it's really hard to miss with a shotgun, and yet he does. He misses every single one. Yeah, there's a lot of spreads, spreading. But anyways, so back home, Fool learns from his grandfather that he has enough gold to pay for his mother's surgery and to cover the rent for years to come. He says probably until the year 2000. That's about nine years, folks. Uh, He also finds out that mommy and daddy are actually brother and sister. Big reveal here, folks. And they come from a long line of disturbed, inbred family members. So they start out as a family that ran a funeral home selling cheap coffins for expensive prices before entering the real estate business, leading them to become greedier and more unhinged. So Ruby tells, uh, now remember folks, Ruby is the sister. Ruby tells Fool, right, that she did tarot cards on him again and they were real scary. She warns him not to mess with the Robinsons again, but Fool is determined to keep his promise to Alice. So just from the coins that he brought him, the little the little baggie. Yeah, just the little bit that he got from Roach, I guess. Could cover their year, their uh, rent for years to come. Crazy. Yeah, which, you know, at that point, I would probably move out of the nearly condemned building full of crackheads. But Yeah, right. I wouldn't want to 
Yeah, right. I wouldn't want to just pay the rent just to live, live there the, for the next. The dogs just eating rats outside your door. Yeah, having dogs like all like almost tearing each other apart over a dead rat carcass right. right outside. Yeah, and they're like, at least we got our rent money. Yep. Uh, I lived in a place that was not a whole lot better than that for a while. Damn. We had a, like a landlord who just wouldn't fix his roach infested house, and for a while, the toilet backed up raw sewage, and it was just uh, a nightmare place. Damn. That's gross. Yeah. So I can sympathize with having a horrible landlords that don't care about you. And uh, yeah, I mean, I've had, I had one bad landlord, uh, for a brief period with my, my ex-girlfriend who treated us like trash. So landlords, um, can be pretty predatory fucks. So he reports the Robesons to child welfare and the police, right? Fool does mm-hmm. at the house. Mommy serves coffee and cookies to the police as they investigate the house. While daddy goes around hiding all of his handcuffs and bondage gear and shotguns in the walls, you know, one of the cops discovers Alice's bedroom. But mommy tells them that their daughter died years ago and they didn't have the heart to change her room. The cops apologize and leave because yeah. they're nice, sweet. Same with the child services people. She's you know, got a tray of coffee and offered them cream and sugar and daddy's smoking a pipe. And- yeah, they're doing a great job of seeming like just nice, you know, you know like, middle-aged couple. Like when uh, Ronald Reagan used to give those talks by the fireplace or whatever. Ah, yes. Yeah. There you go. It's very much that vibe. It's revealed that they used a fake shelf to hide the entrance to the basement and mommy and daddy prepare for bed, planning on getting a new dog the next day, right? While the Robesons were distracted with the cops, Fool snuck back in and hid in a cabinet in the kitchen. After mommy and daddy head to bed, he grabs a fireplace poker and heads upstairs, hearing them recite their prayers before going to bed. When he gets to the bedroom, he discovers that he's actually been listening to a tape recorder and suddenly daddy pops out with his leather bondage suit, grabbing Fool and shoving him against the wall. But Fool presses his thumbs into his eyes and gets away. So I think that this is an interesting, funny, kind of silly part. Yeah. You know, the the whole, I mean, the, the classic, like, oh, it was a recording the whole time, you know? Mm-hmm. I think it was a very silly move in this movie. It is like the old timey, like, big spool tape recorder. That yeah, one, like- right. It seems like it took a lot to set up. I don't know. It's just like a very, uh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, and also, like, I think they start walking upstairs having the conversation. And exactly, then, yeah. And it was then- like a very quick turnaround. Yeah, also, was- he got dressed in the bondage suit. Just the time kind of didn't make sense. There's been a few moments like earlier on when like they sm- smashed the lamp over his head. Then all of a sudden he's in the basement. Then all of a sudden he's back upstairs. Yeah, like- yeah, right, right, right. So mommy runs to grab fool, but he hits her with in the leg with a fireplace poker. Right. And then he breaks the fireplace poker over daddy's back, which is incredible. I mean, the force that this kid has to break a fireplace poker. Yeah. I mean, these things are like made of steel or iron yeah it's probably pretty old though yeah you're probably right daddy goes for his shotgun while fool runs to the hidden panel with all the controls for the mechanisms around the house and escapes in the attic fool finds alice and reveals to her that she is not their daughter but was stolen from her real parents as were all the other children in the basement alice tells fool that daddy drained the pond and filled it with broken glass so they can't jump out of the window into that pool anymore you know nope so they're looking for another way out they discover that the house is rigged with dynamite They climb up to the roof to escape through the chimney. In the bedroom, Daddy tells Mommy he should have killed Alice, but she tells him to stay away from her, right? He says he knows Alice had sex with Fool, and and then he he calls her a whore, and Mommy slaps him. I don't know why. Why? 
Ah, uh, you know, that's her little girl, even if she is a crazy, abusive lunatic. Yeah, I guess you're right. So daddy freaks out and he begins to choke mommy right before they hear movement in the fireplace. It's like, a real great like Homer Simpson choking Bart moment. <laughs> just like yeah. slaps when he just starts choking the shit out of her. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so daddy sticks his head into the fireplace, right? And he just takes a shotgun and fires up the chimney. Fool cries out in pain. Daddy takes off his leather mask to see better. But then Fool, who actually is not injured, folks, faking it, takes a brick and drops it down that hits Daddy in the face. Yeah. Pretty Home Alone style. Pretty moment. Home Alone. But I was also like, God damn, that would, uh, that would fuck you up. That would fuck you up hard. Mm-hmm. Could possibly kill you because that is a far drop with a heavy ass brick. Yeah, depending on where it hits you. That's right. So mommy grabs the shotgun and looks up the chimney before Fool and Alice drop down on top of her. She drops the shotgun down into the basement, uh, which I didn't know. I've never seen a uh, a fireplace. I didn't know fireplaces like have other they connect further down into because it was like upstairs. Right. There's like another compartment that goes down, possibly down to where the furnace is. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if that's a real thing in like an old Victorian house or if that was just for another thing convenience for the plot right for sure i mean wes craven wrote and directed this so he was like you know whatever i need to make it work sure sure the house has levers that just cause the floor to drop out and a slide that comes out in the kitchen you know yeah it's a highly modified house that they've got the whole thing right you know they have like this control panel with all kinds of hidden switches and stuff and yeah it kind of gives him free reign, I guess. Yeah. So Fool and Alice slide down that compartment after the gun, right? Alice climbs out of the fireplace in the living room, and Fool goes to set the people under the stairs free. Mommy catches Alice, but she, uh, but she stomps on her foot, screaming at her that she can go to hell, and she runs into the kitchen. Mommy realizes that Alice knows the truth and believes that Fool has turned her against them. They hear a noise. Uh, from the cellar and daddy goes to check only to find fool on the steps with the shotgun pointed at him he puts his hands up right but then he pulls he grabs a lever flattening the stairs and sending fool tumbling down he grabs fool and points the shotgun at his head but there's a knock at the door upstairs mommy answers the door it's ruby saying that she's with an, the, an association of tenants who've been victimized by the robesons mommy slams the door in her face and yells for daddy to kill fool but the people under the stairs begin screaming enough to distract daddy and fool gets away Upstairs, there's another knock, and they say it's the police. Uh, They have reports of gunfire. Mommy answers the door to find Grandpa Booker and Ruby at the door now, and they accuse her of stealing the children from their local community. She raises her gun, right? Uh, And she says, there's no children here. All I see is a couple of... And then dozens of uh, more evicted tenants show up outside the door. So now outside, there's just a bunch of fucking people. Yeah, there's like 70 people outside, like gathered in their yard. Ruby asks if she's going to shoot all of them. And mommy points the gun at her when Alice drops down on her from the ceiling, knocking her out. Alice just burst through the top of the ceiling here yeah but there's no secret in the living room before and then she's just in the ceiling she's just in the ceiling it somehow drops through the floorboard drops down like a ninja (laughs) like we're talking plaster fucking the the ceiling opens up yeah there's a little girl in a white dress (laughs) uh so then she drops down onto alice and knocks her out or onto mommy Oh, sorry. Yeah, uh, she drops down onto uh, mommy and knocks her out. Yeah, she does. She she slams her head on the floor for like. Yeah, then she grabs her the back of her head and slams it on the floor. It's like a real like Jason Bourne moment. Yeah. So daddy is chasing fool through the basement, but one of the ghouls grabs fool and pulls him in front of the lock 
uh, to the pen. So daddy goes to fire, but fool ducks out of the way and he ends up shooting the lock and the ghouls pull fool inside. Uh, daddy searches the pen, but the ghouls hide fool. Grandpa Booker pokes his head in the basement, uh, calling for him, right? He's like, fool. Daddy charges up the stairs towards Booker, but then Booker slams the door in his face, sending daddy rolling back down the stairs. Fool tells the ghoul kid, right? So there's like, now there's like one ghoul kid, yeah. right? Which I got to say. It's like, they're like teenagers. There's yeah. a bunch of them, but there's like all these like ghoul kids, but there's one that's helping fool out now. Yeah. And one thing I got to say about these ghouls, they look like fucked up, right? But their hair is beautiful. <laughs> all of the ghouls have stunning hair. Yeah, they all look like zombies. They all got like long, like, like, like really long, nice. like very well conditioned, shiny hair. Well, you know, just because you're a cannibalistic ghoul locked in a cellar who doesn't get to see the sun doesn't mean. And survives off of human remains. Yeah. Right. You don't, you know, you're not going to wash your hair. Just right. Because. Yeah, just because I'm locked in here as a prisoner and you're a pale faced zombie looking person who eats raw flesh. I think that was one thing that they they cut out of the movie was they were like, hey, he, you know, all they get is flashlights, uh, human remains and, and good hair products. And they got a TV, you know. Yeah. So sponsored by Garnier. Yeah, it's just incredible. I mean, I'm, I was just like the hair is so nice. It's so, so nice. So Fool tells the ghoul kid that there's a way out and the ghoul shows him the entrance to a vault that is filled with huge piles of cash and gold coins. Just like an absurd, like Looney Tunes amount. Yeah. The floor is just like ran like loose dollar, like hundred dollar bills just covering the whole floor. gold coins. Gold coins. Yeah. Just like a a goofy, silly amount of just with no organization. It's just in a pile. It's like a criminally insane Scrooge McDuck. Yes. And it's it's also it's the embalming room. It's the old embalming room right. from the funeral home. It's the kind of money that a cartoon character would do backstrokes in. Yep. Upstairs, Ruby and Alice realize that mommy is gone. And Ruby goes to uh, goes outside to check and is locked out of the house. Alice goes to the control panel to open the door, but mommy has activated a remote override and trapped her inside. Over the intercom, she says, you know I wouldn't let you get away that easy. Alice finds mommy in the kitchen. Mommy pulls out a kitchen knife, huge 12-inch blade, right, and chases Alice through the house, attempting to stab her. She pins Alice to the stairs, and suddenly, one of the ghoul children from the basement, the one that was helping out Fool, I believe, smashes through the stairwell, and bites down on mommy's arm. Yeah, this yeah. is another moment where you're just kind of like, how are people just smashing through three inch thick pieces of wood? You know, gets real night of the living dead here. They're just like, yeah, punching through the stairs. Right. And like, and so she tries to get away, but then the ghouls, different ghouls begin smashing through every like surface that she pins herself up against. Right. Yeah. Right. The busting through walls, out through cabinets, yeah. like popping out through. It's a very fun scene. I did. Uh, this is like the third act, which I really loved. It's like very intense and crazy. Oh, yeah. Um, but there's many moments where you're just like, what is how is any of this happening? <laughs> Mommy runs into the kitchen where Alice is waiting, holding the knife. But she runs herself right into the knife that Alice is holding. Yeah, she kind of stabs herself. Yeah, she stabs herself in this situation, folks. She turns to flee, but is surrounded by the ghouls, right? So she's holding onto this knife that's in her stomach, and uh, she can't get away, right? So she pulls the knife out of her stomach and charges at Alice, screaming, You burn in hell! But then she's mobbed by the cannibals from under the stairs, and uh, presumably just, just torn apart. 
pile on her zombie style. Mm-hmm. In the basement, Daddy watches as Mommy's lifeless body rolls down the stairs with her throat torn out. Yeah. So Mommy didn't make it. She was more intact than I expected, honestly. I thought they would just be ripping chunks out of her, but... Yeah, I would have liked to see her a little more ravaged. Mm-hmm. Uh, he goes looking for fool and hears the sound of coins clinking in the vault, right? So he's like, oh, you're counting money. I do that all the time. Yeah, I've done it many times myself. So when he goes to check around the corner while these coins are just dropping down, he finds that coins have been stuck to lit candles, right? And this candle holder. And uh, as they melt the wax, the candle, the, the coins drop down onto the floor. Kind of an ingenious Pretty move. clever trap for a 13-year-old to set. Very, uh... Very MacGyvery. Sometimes what I've noticed in, in these horror movies is sometimes these kids just know incredible like MacGyver maneuvers here, you know, like that kid in uh, Phantasm. Oh, yeah. Created that shotgun thing that blasted blast the lock off the door. With oh, the, the shotgun shell with the hammer. Right. He just knew how to do that with no yeah. setup at all. I think I knew how to do some stuff like that as a kid. You yeah. Know, you know what to do with a can of spray I, paint and a lighter. Yeah. But in a movie, though, we got to have a little bit of a of some kind of heads up. That this Man, kid this might. was after the Goonies, you know. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. I guess in a different I guess in the 80s and 90s, it was like a little bit different. Yeah. I mean, home alone. Like think about, you know, Kevin McAllister rigging his entire house with all these. Well, that kid was in the Marines. <laughs> he was an ex-Marine, dude. You didn't know that? Uh, I did know that. Yeah. But, you know, I don't remember them tre- teaching booby traps in Marine Corps training. Is that uh, part yes. of it? Okay. So, so daddy now goes looking for fool and here's the sound of coins. Okay. We already did that. Sorry. Okay. So Fool, after he finds these uh, these coins dropping, Fool appears holding the wires for the explosives, right, that the house is rigged with. He warns Daddy to put down the shotgun, saying he doesn't want to kill him. But when Daddy cocks the shotgun, Fool connects the wires, blowing up multiple sections of the house and Daddy along with it. Dying, Daddy falls into the sewage pit next to the body of fucking Leroy Spencer. Spencer. Alice reunites with Fool in the vault and asks if he's okay. And he replies, I feel like a million dollars. Very cute. Mm-hmm. So outside, hundreds of dollar bills of just big money folks are raining down on the Robeson's evicted tenants as redhead kingpins do the right thing plays and the people under the stairs escape into the night. Um, that's the end of the movie, Joe. Great ending scene. It's just raining money on all these people. Yeah, all these people have had are downtrodden. You know, they've been fucked over by these uh, predatory landlords. Third to- late '80s rap music. It was actually a song that was recorded for Spike Lee's "Do the Right Thing" that they didn't end up using for that movie. Oh, nice. That's great. Yeah, it's, it's like, fun. Well, this song's about all, all about doing the right thing. And then I looked at it, I was like, oh, because it was written for do the right thing. And right. Used. Oh, interesting. So, yeah, yeah. Some, you know, the dollar bills rain down. And yeah, I don't know. I mean, you know, fun movie, fun ending. I like that the ghouls just go wandering. That's out that was the, the night. <laughs> they're just like these like incredible. Like they look like they they look like straight up zombies. Right. They look like Night of the Living Dead zombies. They look like I mean, the, the, everyone's the, just jumping up, grabbing right. money. These ghouls the makeup on these kids uh was very silly looking but yeah so they just go off looking like they just look like they're in a haunted house like kids escaped from a haunted house yeah but they uh kind of did what's what's kind of weird to me is that yeah they just go wandering off and you're like they're gonna what are they gonna do 
You know, they have no idea what the world is. They, they got to get jobs. They're- they got to get jobs. We don't know. Some of them, not all of them are good people. Probably. We don't know if they're all good people, you know? Well, you know, I mean, they've all, they've been forced into cannibalism. So, so they eat people. They've got a taste for blood. Yeah. They got a taste for human flesh. There's not much that they can do to, they're probably gonna end up in prison. Maybe. Yeah. I mean, you know what? I mean, you know, I uh, I just worry about these kids is all. Well, maybe, you know, I think I'm about to write a sequel about the, the people from under the stairs. I would actually really like that. Yeah. You know, maybe yeah. they'll be in a sitcom. They, they all live in a big house together. and That would be great. And they all eat people and they stuff. They all eat people, you know. Yeah, and they they also no interest in the money. No interest in the money at all. No, no. Because one of them, they they show fool the vault. They're like, here's the vault full of money, so right. they know what it is. Right. They don't even understand how the world works. But so they're they don't even if they can't even put together like, oh, maybe I should just grab a few hundred bucks to go buy like uh, some clothes and a car, you know, and get a place to stay. Yeah. They just leave. Yeah. Idiots. A bunch of loose Campbell feral children. They don't well, know anything. Feral young adults and teenagers, really. Uh. Well. Yeah. So movie fun. Fun movie. Good time. That is the people under the stairs. People under the stairs, folks. Let's get into some some information, some notes here. Uh, so let's see. I'll just go through all these notes uh, provided yeah. mostly by Remy. Uh, she she did most of these notes for Remy us. Mitchell, folks. Yes, Remy Mitchell, our researcher and good friend. Uh, so thank you for that. I added some stuff too. So the people under the stairs was released uh, November first, nineteen ninety one, by Universal Pictures on a budget of six million dollars. It opened in the number one spot of the box office and grossed the thirty one point four million dollars. Pretty good. Yeah, it was. Uh, you know, it was not. They did not expect it to be a hit. Right. And it kind of was a surprise that it was. Everett McGill and Wendy Roby, who played uh, Mommy and Daddy, were nominated for Best Actor and Actress. And Brandon Adams was nominated for Best Performance by a Younger Actor at the Saturn Awards. So Remy's uh, personal favorite description of the movie came from a review by Brent McKnight. He said, uh, the people under the stairs falls into a category all its own, moving deftly from horror to comedy to social allegory, all wrapped in a wonderfully lunatic package. Yeah, I like that. I think that describes it pretty well because it is. It's like a horror, but it definitely has its funny mo. It's like weird, funny in like a weird way, not so much like a laugh out loud, but like a weird satire kind of way. Right, right. Uh, that that review goes on to mention how it kind of gets lost in uh, Craven's long CV of uh, great movies, but definitely deserves recognition. It inspired a 1992 and 1993 Halloween Horror Nights house and a sequel in 2006. Okay. Which I would have really liked to go with the people under the stairs house. Yeah, that would have been cool. that. Yeah, hopefully they'll bring it back. That's like kind of a perfect haunted house. Yeah. It's all set up for it. Right. Yeah, it really is. So like uh, Craven's earlier movie, The Hills Have Eyes, it's horror that is sort of based in reality. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was actually, the story was inspired by real life events from 1978. Uh, Two African-American burglars broke into a house in LA where they found two children that had been held hostage in a basement by their parents and never let out of the house. Jesus Christ. There's a few cases like that throughout history. I think there was one in Austria and like a couple of those kids ended up being like feral. Like they didn't really have communication skills. Yeah. Or like, yeah. From what I've read, you can't really rehabilitate kids you know, once they've been like from birth. Yeah. Brought up in this like really fucked up way, you know, mm-hmm. like there's like st- uh, the kids who have like the wolf kids, you know. Yeah. There's been like multiple children like found by wolves, you know, that were like raised, raised by them, kind of like Mowgli in the Jungle Book. But. Yeah. I mean, yeah, because, yeah, exactly. Because Mowgli was, 
if you don't know, was inspired by a real story of a of a feral kid found by wolves. Uh, but yeah, it's like they they were like, yeah, once these once that's happened, like if they've reached you know like an age like yeah. six seven whatever, it's like that's you can't. There's only so yeah, you they're can do. basically gone at that point. Yeah, crazy. So what appealed to uh, Craven was uh, he said to me. Uh, what appealed was the thought of a hidden truth that was radically different from the surface appearance and the fact that this was taking place in a neighborhood where supposedly people were enjoying the good middle-class life. Co-founder of Creepy Catalog said what made Craven's previous hit A Nightmare on Elm Street so successful as a horror movie was the use of an idyllic suburb where no one expects this kind of terror to strike. Hmm. She says that Craven did with the people under this or what Craven did with the people under the stairs is uh, takes this twist a step further by locating the horror someplace some audiences may already consider scary, uh, which is inner city Los Angeles, but making the villains the, quote, respectable white landlords and the hero a young black boy whose family is facing eviction. Hmm. Remy noted that uh, when reading about the movie ending, she couldn't help but think of the beginning of the movie Nope, which uh, when um, Keith David dies, I won't spoil it, but okay, if you see Nope, you would know it, uh, yes, what she's yes. talking about there. So uh, Jordan Peele is actually producing a remake of The People Under the Stairs. Really? Yeah. That's, you know. It's announced in 2020. Because I was uh, watching it and I'd be like, it'd be cool if Jordan Peele did the did this movie. Did you really? I you absolutely did. Oh, yeah. 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 Well, uh, so before Wes Craven died in 2015, he was actually working on a TV series remake with sci-fi. But this will be the first of his movies remade since he passed away. Wow. That's cool. Uh, and I think Jordan Peele's a perfect person to do a remake of this movie. Totally. Yeah, that's great. So got some notes on the themes and setting. So the film tackles the complex topics of gentrification, class warfare, late capitalism, and the breakdown of the family structure. Uh, it's a rare horror film because of its setting, the inner city. Candyman is one of the other notable exceptions. Mm. Um, as opposed to classic horror movie settings that place, take place in the middle of nowhere, uh, like Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Evil Dead, Out in a Cabin in the Woods. Mm-hmm. Uh, hills have eyes out in the Nevada desert. Right. In a 2000 Empire article, S.C. Dacey compares mommy and daddy to a camouflaged Ronald and Nancy Reagan, which I mentioned. In 2017, Johnny Coleman of LA Weekly took note of the similarities uh, of people today mentioning Donald Sterling, who uh, was the owner of the Clippers, who's known for making racist comments and discrimination, and he's got sexual harassment lawsuits, uh, mm. and Donald Trump. Aha. Uh-huh. On a Blu-ray commentary released in 2015, Craven stated that the Robeson's house represented the whole of society in the United States. In 1991, he stated that it's a raw film with no dreams in it whatsoever, as opposed to like Nightmare on Elm Street. It's an extraordinary real-life situation involving an awful family that shouldn't exist, but unfortunately often does. That was in an interview with Fangoria. Hmm. And so, you know, in this case... Uh, unlike Night of Living Dead, he's saying, no, the house does represent the whole class structure of the United States, you know? Right, right. And when the, the evicted tenants show up, it kind of is like a, I feel like it's like a kind of like a revolution almost happening. Sure. Right, right, right. Uh, yeah, exactly. Ruby makes the film's criticism of class uh, and capitalism explicit with the line, you and your brother are landlords of over 50 buildings in the city, all of which you've allowed to deteriorate into rat infested hell holes while you guys get rich charging ridiculous rents. Then you evict anyone the minute they can't pay rent so you can tear down their homes and build some more office buildings. Isn't that about right? Pretty much what's still going on now in LA. Yeah, no, it's exactly, yeah, it's exactly what happens now. You, uh, we'd hope we would have 
fix that by now, but yeah, it's really only gotten worse. No, no, it has not changed, folks. It's happening all over the country, you know, where I grew up in St. Pete is being gentrified. You know, all my friends who grew up there can't afford to live in the city anymore. Yep. Um, I'm about to li- move to New York where that's uh, just continued to be an issue. And, yeah. And keeps going. Yeah, it sucks. Yes, it does. So where are these people moving from? <laughs> these all small towns in Ohio or something that right. are being abandoned? I don't know. Uh, on the theme of the family, uh, Craven stated, ideas that come out of families which are fractured or disturbed in some way are the most profoundly terrifying things to me. And I've always felt that I was on solid ground when I was making movies about families. The first real terrors happened to us in the first five years of our lives, and that's where we are in the middle of our family. Quite often for children, the most terrifying things are adults. And unfortunately, it's often the parents themselves that are the most frightening. Yeah. This was pretty relatable for me. Mm -hmm. (laughs) My dad's great, but my mom was kind of a, she could be kind of a monster. Yeah, it sounds like it. I don't know your mom. No. From what I've heard from you. Yeah, better off. (laughs) Better off not meeting her. Sure. I mean, she. She's not uh, quite like the Robesons, you know, she's not like an insane cannibal person, but that's pretty good. sure she's got a bad case of narcissistic personality disorder. Sure, sure. So uh, I got some notes on the cast. Uh, Everett McGill and Wendy Roby starred together as a married couple in Twin Peaks and are credited only as man and woman. Uh, Wendy Roby credits the film as the most fun she's ever had on a film set. And uh, it's one of her favorite projects that she's ever done. Nice. Uh, Brandon Adams, who played Fool, also starred in Michael Jackson's Moonwalker video. Oh, I don't shit. Know if you remember that? No, no, I don't. Oh, really? It was like uh, it was a music video that was like a short, like 15 minute film. I'll have to rewatch in the 90s. I've probably seen it. Yeah, it used to be on TV a lot. Yeah. Back, uh, back in the 90s. Back in the 90s. Yeah. Uh, AJ Langer, who was Alice, appeared in multiple film and television roles, including uh, Utopia from es- in Escape from L.A. and Ray Ann Graff in My So-Called Life. In 2004, she married, Char- she married Charles Courtenay, son of the 18th Earl of Devon, and assumed the title of Countess of Devon following her husband's succession as the 19th Earl of Devon in 2014. Whoa. That's, right? That's crazy. Yeah, it's weird to think the little girl from People Under the Stairs is Countess now. Yeah, that's bizarre. She was actually 17 when she was played that role. No. Yeah. Really? Yeah, she looks like a little girl. Yeah, like, she looks like she's 11 like, or 12. Yeah. Same with Roach was apparently 26, and he's playing a character who's supposed to be like 15 or 16 years old. Sure. I mean, I guess I could see that a little more. With that him. one's a little, yeah. Yeah. So as far as critical reception goes, uh, Brent Knight from Pop Matters uh, writes, easily one of the director's most original, deranged, and off-the-wall films. But uh, Richard Harrington of the Washington Post, after criticizing Craven's directing, said, Craven also wrote the script here based on a news story about a California parents who kept their children locked in the basement for many years. That's scary. And so is how far Craven has fallen. Damn. Yeah. That was mean. Uh, and Remy noted here, this is in, uh, that was uh, on the 6th of November, 1991. Uh, after the critical success of the movie, this was a bad time for old Dick to be a hater. He says this is the movie where Craven hit bottom. Uh <laughs> She said, uh, insert the biggest and blackest eye roll ever. I, I tend to agree. I think that is far from where he hit bottom. You haven't seen my soul to take. No, no, no. I, I don't know. I don't know Wes Craven's stuff all that well. Uh, Most of his movies are pretty great. Yeah. I mean, this one was fun. I don't know. Yeah. It's not his best, but you know, no. the probably Nightmare on Elm Street and the Scream movies are his, you know, best stuff. But uh, all I have left are, you know, my picks for the superlatives for the movies. Okay. For best kill. Uh, I had to go with uh, when mommy 
stabs herself and then gets mobbed by the people under the stairs. Yeah, that one was great. I got out, you know, this is a little bit, uh, I like the way I like that the dog died. <laughs> I was going to say Prince dying is a close second, you know, Prince really dying. Like, it was a very much cause that dog was such a, a threat and a nuisance, you know, that you're just kind of like, we got to get rid of this dog. And then yeah, we, and he ate people. He wasn't going to be good. Come a good dog. After no, that. no. It was taste for blood. Bad dog. So I was glad when he died. I agree. Yeah. But yeah, still, I think mommy's was the most satisfying for me. Yeah. Fear meter for this one. I gave it a five out of 10. Might be scarier for some people who don't watch a lot of horror. I might go up to a six for this. Yeah. Yeah. That's. I mean, it was weird, but it was also pretty. Cr- I think if I were, uh, it's one of those movies where I'm like, if I were younger, you know, when I saw this, you know, in the nineties or something, I would have been very, 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 very scared. I think. Yeah. It was terrifying watching it as a kid. I can confirm that. Yeah, for sure. Um, not Maybe. as much anymore. Yeah. Uh, for the gore score, this one, I wrote down six out of 10, but thinking about when he's gutting Leroy's body, I got to give it a seven out of 10 on the Savini scale. It's pretty up there. Yeah. A lot of blood. A lot you know. of blood. It's like bites taken out of Spencer's hand, dog eating a severed hand. Uh-huh. Yeah, seven, seven and a half for me. Leroy's body, though, is like completely hollowed out. It's gross. At one point. Yeah, yeah. It's not good. It's real nasty. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so for best line, uh, for me, my favorite one was when Fool was referring to Spencer's dead body, and he says, you thought he was white before? You should see that sucker now. Yeah, that's a great line. That's fun. Mine was... Uh, <laughs> Too old to get tit, too young to get ass. Fucked either way. That's a pretty good one. <laughs> uh, so my pick for le- worst line was all for, also from Leroy when he says, uh, yeah, maybe the president will make me secretary of pussy. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That one was a little out there and kind of random. I think, I don't know if I didn't think of worst line, but if, I mean, the million bucks line, uh, <laughs> I feel like a million bucks. <laughs> Uh, just to kind of reference the how, how much money that was falling from the sky, I thought that was, it was very cheesy. Yeah. yeah. Also, like you'd be pretty traumatized at this point, right? You know. But I guess you know he did. I guess he's gonna save his mom, so yeah, there's reason to be happy. But also, sure. he just know, saw had to watch Leroy get gutted and yeah, almost murdered and attacked by a dog. And yeah, yeah. he's a badass kid. He's like a Rambo type. He's got he doesn't feel a thing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Favorite character for me was definitely Roach. Oh, yeah. Sean Whalen is the actor, and I thought he did a really great job. Yeah. Roach was cool. Um, I don't know. I liked Fool. I thought Fool was fun just because he was such a badass and it was not justified in any way why he felt nothing for all the things that he saw. Yeah. He also doesn't look like a badass, too. He looks kind of like a nerdy kid. Yeah. He's a very cute little guy. He looks like he would get bullied. (laughs) Absolutely. You know, there there are tough looking young kids, but he's not one of them. Yeah. The mommy and daddy are pretty great too. For I mean, they're very hateable. Very hateable, very wacky, weird, you know, dancing and celebrating kills and stuff. Yeah, just so And I guess it time. makes more sense later on when you find that they're brother and sister that they're just like, Oh, you guys are just like this weird. Yeah, they're like inbred and crazy and Yeah. But yeah, is so that I it? That, that's all I got. Yeah. That's people under the stairs. That's people under the stairs, folks. We had a great time with this movie. You can watch it on YouTube. That's where I watched it. Rent it. Probably rent it some other places. I don't know. Yeah, it's on Amazon. I have a DVD copy of it somewhere, but I couldn't find it. So I had to rent it twice <laughs> to do the plot synopsis because ah, I did it over three days. Uh, uh, well, folks, treat yourself to a, a night of uh, people under the stairs. Enjoy the movie. Yeah, highly recommended. You know, it's a good introduction to Wes Craven, too, because it's not like his, his necessarily his best movie, but it's a pretty good one. Yeah. Uh, 
And uh, I haven't picked the next movie yet, but we'll figure that out. We'll figure that out. And we might not have a uh, just keep an eye out for the next episode, folks. We'll, we'll keep you updated. Follow the Instagram, the only horror movie podcast. Uh, but it's going to get kind of tricky for us uh, coming up. But uh, we yeah, will. I'm going to be traveling and then Nick's got to be figured out moving back to New York again. And a lot of stuff going on here, folks. Yeah. But we will uh, we'll get back to you. So don't don't worry. We'll see you next time for the only horror movie podcast. Yeah. Thanks for listening. Goodbye. See you. Ha ha ha!